Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routen, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thursday, March 4th, 2021 in Toronto, Canada, Earth. We're safely in our homes on Zoom. The calendar suggests that spring is around the corner, and so does the recent weather here. Hot or cold, there's plenty of basketball to discuss. Great to be back on the mic this week for Jim Rats and Joints as we begin the greatest month of the year in basketball, March. A pro basketball player who started out at Syracuse University, Mr. Andy Routens is here. Javon Shepard is unable to join us today, so filling in for the first time, I'm pleased to introduce Wes Brown. Wes is Canada's leading basketball scout with clients in the NBA and NCAA, and he is really going to fill us in on the depth of Canadian athletes and pro prospects in NCAA ball. Check out his website, nbaprospects.com, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of today's top prospects. Downtown Wesley Brown, thanks for joining us today, man. Yes, sir. Happy to be here, guys. Looking forward Good. to talking ball. We, we are really happy to have you. Let's let's get right to it, shall we? We're, we're 10 days away from Selection Sunday. It's a, there was a big win for the Syracuse Orange over Clemson on Wednesday. Andy, do you feel like your old team is going to make it to the NCAAs this year? I mean, it's going to be tough. It, it seems as though they were in, you know, Joe Lunardi's last four out at this point in time. You know, they're 15-8 and eight overall, 9-7 and seven in, a, in a usually uh, a weaker-than-usual ACC conference. Uh, they had a big win against North Carolina recently in Clemson as well, which helped their chances. But I think it'll largely depend on, you know, how deep they can go in the NCAA tournament. Um, they've always had a stellar non-conference record, but, um, in a concert in a conference where there's only you know two teams in the top 25 it might be a little too, bit uh too late for the orange this year uh depending on if uh, they can they can win that ACC tournament really interesting to see the ACC not the best conference in basketball mm-hmm. it seems to be the, the big 10 but you know Wes Wes can tell us more about that well Wes let's start talking about some Canadian prospects with you one Canadian who really has stood out this year in the NCAA is Marcus Carr out of Minnesota, six foot two guard based out of Toronto. He's, he's averaging 20 points, five assists, but his team is 13 and 13 might not even make the tournament. What can you tell us about Marcus Carr and what are his prospects as a pro? Yeah, Marcus has a really good chance of being drafted in the second round. Uh, very talented, three-level scorer, you know, a scoring guard more than he is a guy that facilitates. So at the next level, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he's going to be a starter, he's probably got to improve his playmaking. 
but he probably projects a little more as a six man type. Um, obviously it's a really tough situation on Minnesota where he has to do all the scoring and initiating. They don't really have anyone else that can create their own shot or that makes others better. So he's really relied on heavily. So the problem with that has been that he's gone from earlier in the season, shooting high percentages all around to teams starting to be able to figure out what he does, which is, you know, he really likes to get to his right hand. He's really good scoring from all three levels, especially in ball screens and DHOs. Like if you look at his DHO shooting uh, analytics, they're off the charts. I think they're in the 80th, 85th percentile or so on in uh, all of NCAA. So uh, he's really impressive offensively. And the big question mark for teams is, you know, with a smaller role in the NBA, can he succeed as uh, as a role guy and will his percentages go up uh, with less of the burden on him to create the offense, which obviously they will, at some, you know, in, in some way, it's just going to be about how much of it and, and will he be able to accept a role as, you know, not the primary guy where he, you know, he's 80% of the offense at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes, let me ask you about uh, A.J. Lawson, uh, kid out of South Carolina, 6'6 guard. Uh, it doesn't look like the Gamecocks are going to reach uh, any, uh, any any tournament play at 6-13, and 13, but um, A.J. looks like he's had a significant improvement from last year, averaging 17, 17 and a half a game, four rebounds, and shooting 40% from the field. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he, he's really improved his, his shooting, uh, his ability to get it off. That's been the big thing, actually. Like he projects as more of a three and D type guy, uh, and throughout his career, he's really improved his footwork, ability to get set and get it off pretty quickly. And and some scouts actually recently have talked to me about that, saying, like we saw him recently for the first time or first few times, and mm-hmm. they're really impressed with his shooting, which he wasn't, you know, a natural shooter uh, from the start. Uh, but his shooting numbers are, are pretty impressive this year. I believe he's shooting only thirty six or something percent from three, but. Mm-hmm. He's relied on to take a lot, you know, and unguarded, he shoots a pretty high percentage. Uh, so that's something that really projects because he's like, he's not going to be a primary guy. He's going to be a three and D guy in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But six, six, super athletic, very quick, like has a quick twitch to him that, mm-hmm. you know, most guys don't have very quick off the bounds, probably has to improve his playmaking a little, his, his defense, but you know, the three point shooting, the athleticism, the size really projects. So he's a guy that could be a second rounder as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in speaking with you uh, over the last couple of days, Wes, you, you really have brought me up to date on, on some of these prospects. Um, I, I'm going to try to get the name right. Benedict Maturin plays for Arizona. I, I hadn't heard of him, but you're, you're very high on him. He's a six foot seven freshman guard out of Montreal, averaging 12 points a game, five rebounds. He's got really high shooting percentages, including from the college three-point line. I think it's a very safe bet to say Arizona will be in the tournament. Why do you why do you like this athlete so much, and where do you see him fitting in as a professional? First of all, Arizona self-imposed a ban, so they will not be in the tournament. Oh, that's no right. Post, no postseason play. Yeah, no postseason play for them. Um, but – Ben is really intriguing. You know, he's been on the NBA radar for a while because uh, he played at the NBA Academy in Mexico. Uh, he's at Arizona now in his first year. And the interesting thing is, you know, he's always had this build. He's athletic. He's long. He's very quick. Uh, but he was a ball handler. And we didn't really know what his NBA skill would be. 
And then he comes to Arizona now, and he's shooting over 40% from three. He's one of the best, analytically, he's one of the best offensive players in all of college basketball, especially as a spot-up guy. I mean, he's the best spot-up guy, you know, you'll find. And when you see that ability, plus his size, his athleticism, his length, you know, he's, he's really projectable into the NBA. And even though, you know, maybe he could be a, uh, he could be a lottery guy next year, um, I think it's too hard to pass up being probably a guaranteed first-round pick this year. I mean, just from speaking to teams, it seems like he's got a lot of interest in the late first round. And because of his body, um, he's going to end up probably going higher. But um, a guy that will at least be a 3 and D guy to start and has much more potential. Like, if you go to my website, nbaprospects.com, he's the number one ranked Canadian, any age group. So I'm glad because, you know, I kind of hit on that one. But, um, yeah, he's, he's a really intriguing guy that the common fan probably doesn't know about. Hmm. Uh, Wes, let's talk a little bit about the West Coast Conference's sixth man of the year, uh, Andrew Nemard, uh, 6'5 guard out of Aurora, Aurora Ontario, averaging 9-5 and five on a Gonzaga team that's 24-0. and 0. Uh, Do you view Andrew as an NBA prospect? And he's, I think he's going to look to have a pretty significant impact on the national team as well coming up, uh, transferred out of Florida. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about Andrew? Yeah, I mean, obviously Andrew's a household name by now, mm-hmm. even you know, the casual fan, um, pick and roll point guard, you know, great in the ball screen. Uh, he's been great actually offensively and defensively in the ball screen this year, guarding it as well. So, you know, that's, that's a really good sign because that's what he's going to be doing. Uh, probably will never be an NBA type starter, but you see the exact role that he's playing now on Gonzaga. That's probably who he's going to be in the NBA. You know, he's going to get guys in the spots that they like it. He's going to defend. He's mature. He's got good size. Mm -hmm. He gets where he wants on the floor pretty well. A lot of it is east-west more than, you know, downhill. But mm-hmm. if you're relied upon to be a role guy kind of off the bench, like the type of guy that he probably will be and is, um, you know, it, it helps that he plays this controlled, mature style of game. Yeah, notice uh, that about him. He's very he's very heady. You can't really speed him up. Uh, definitely more of a facilitator than a scorer. And I think that that translates well to, to, to guys who need uh, fill a specific role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, he's, he's, he's mature. He's ready to play. Uh, so whether or not he's a second round draft pick, I expect that he'll get on a team and you can see now again, you know, he can sub in for Jalen Suggs. He can play with him. He's super easy to fit along there. You know, it would be nice if he shot a higher percentage from three, Yeah, but I think it's possible that, um, you know, he does enough good things that'll help you he'll help you win, you know, and it's been really good seeing him on Gonzaga not being the primary guy because it's easy to project from where he is now to, to the NBA. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Jim Rats and Joints. It's March, so we're previewing some of the top Canadian basketball prospects in the NCAA. Dan Gladman, along with Andy Routens and Canadian scout Wes Brown. Wes, there, there seems to be a, a pipeline... Uh, between Canadian young Canadian players to Oregon. And one player right now who's really standing out is Eugene Omaruyi, a 6'6 senior. Uh, so he has been there for a while. Uh, he's out of Rexdale, Ontario. So, you know, Toronto. Um, he's averaging 17 points a game for an excellent Oregon team. I don't think they have a self-imposed ban. I'm pretty sure they're gonna be they're gonna be in the tournament. Can you tell us, Wes, what to expect? from this young player in March Madness 
Uh, we've seen we've seen uh, Canadian players at Oregon succeed before. And can you uh, prognosticate where he might fit in professionally? Yeah, I mean they're a pretty good team, so they could end up going deep in March. Uh, they got another guy, Chris Duarte, who's another probably second round pick, six five, really good shooter. You know, good feel for the game, could score from all three levels. Just has the body and shooting ability that you look for in a prospect. Um, but Eugene, uh, I love Eugene. I mean, I've seen Eugene everything from pickup to, you know, the games you see on TV. He's a guy that knows exactly who he is. He passes up good looks for great ones. He moves really, really well without the ball. You know, he looks to, to post you up and seal you deep in the paint, but he's also shooting over 36% from three. He can make plays off the bounce. You know, he can post up. He's very good on both ends, actually posting up. The one area we still don't really know is uh, perimeter defense. That's going to be his big question mark moving forward in the NBA. But uh, in every other area, he's pretty good. And a lot of the times when you look at these guys, it's like, what's his NBA skill? And for him, he actually doesn't just have one. I would say he's pretty good at everything. He's a guy I love. He's a guy I want on my team. He's competitive. He's tough. He's got great size. And uh, uh, he's going to be able to project really well into the NBA because he'll do whatever it takes, whatever is asked of him uh, to succeed at the next level. So he's the guy I love, uh, probably a second round pick, but I bet he will have a long NBA career. Nice, nice. Wes, uh, uh, a little bit uh, less heard of Delano Banton, uh, 6'9 sophomore from Toronto. Uh, he's playing out in Nebraska right now. It doesn't look like the Cornhuskers will make the tournament either unless they somehow win the, the Big Ten tournament. Uh, why do you like his prospects? It looks like he's a six nine guard, which is which is kind of an elite height for for a guard that would translate really well to the league. Yeah, I mean his best skill is actually passing. Okay. Yeah, you know, so he he's a he's a six nine point guard pretty right. much. He's averaging four assists again. Magic Johnson. Magic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, he he actually has great feel. He's pretty fluid. He gets in the lane well with ball screens. The problem is off the ball, he's not a great shooter, um, and He's really, you know, he's gotten worse as the season's gone on, statistically at least. Mm-hmm. He was, if you look at his numbers, he was averaging in the teens early on, and now all, almost all of his games are in the single digits, right? So I think he's got to mature a little there. But in terms of the body, the athleticism, the IQ, the feel for the game, a 6'9 modern guard with feel for the game that, you know, can be a, a second initiator on offense, that's what every team's looking for, you know? But I'd like to see him produce a little more, I think. And moving forwards, he's probably going to end up going back to school. And, and if you can say, if you thought he yeah. would be better off, you know, testing the waters without an agent, maybe doing some pre-draft workouts. Yeah, I, I think I'll test. I think I'll test it, see what happens. But yeah, again, he just has the body and the look and the feel for the game. Uh, it's going to be maturing, probably spot up shooting and a few other little things that, you know, he's just got to probably play harder in general. But he's got the tools for sure. Like he's a modern NBA guy. Yeah, I mean, eye test is half the battle when you get up there to those pre-draft workouts. So, I mean, you know, a six-nine guard who has a feel for the game is, is is more likely than not somebody that we take a look at. Uh, but moving on to a kid from from my old stomping grounds in Syracuse, Quincy Guerrier, you know, six-seven sophomore, uh, averaging fourteen and a half a game, almost nine rebounds, you know, fifty percent from the field. The kid is playing like an animal this year. Uh, hopefully, you know, they're, they're trying to make that push for the tournament, like we just talked about. What can you tell us about Quincy? Yeah, I mean, Quincy's accepted his role to a T. He's become a great rebounder, right? He's averaging yeah. nine rebounds a game. 
the problem is that the type of style that he plays, right? He's, he's, he's a post really. And in high school and CJP, he was always a perimeter guy. Um, so, and being at Syracuse, no offense, teams want to know if, if he can defend on the perimeter. That's the only question they have. <laughs> only question, How about right? Syracuse is, can you defend on an island? So, yeah, I'm very familiar with that question. Right. And if, and if you look at the analytics, it's like kind of funny to see because every single possession is a spot up, like is spot up defense, sure. right? Yeah. Or post defense. Yep. Um, so uh, the one thing I love about him, though, is that he knows exactly who he is. Uh, he, he can space the floor. He's got to definitely improve his three-point shooting. But unguarded, he's got pretty good numbers this year. So that's who he's going to be in the NBA. He's going to get kickouts and have to, you know, convert on them, shoot better, probably be more confident than that. But um, off the bounce, I think he's a really good decision maker. You know, he stops on two. He knows when he can finish. He's got good feel for finishing. He's, he's become an animal rebounder on the offensive and defensive boards. You know, he just gets after it. He's a little undersized. For I was going to say at six seven. Do you think that you know there are some concerns about his height and and you know maybe they might look to make him a swing three as opposed to a four? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he would struggle guarding threes. Yeah, uh, and this is just like on a case by case basis. Him for specifically, sure. I, I think he has slower feet. Um, but I, I think I think six seven might be underrated. Like when you see him on TV, he does look six eight or maybe taller, um, right. and he. And he's rebounding really well. Like he'll rebound outside his area. He's doing what he's asked to do. So it's hard to project, you know, but he's shooting over 50% from the field. He's averaging good numbers. Mm -hmm. The one thing I, like I I spoke to coach Autry the other day with Syracuse and was saying, you know, it would just be nice to see him make more skill plays, Mm -hmm. like more opportunities with the ball, taking more shots, things like that. So I think he might need another year earlier in the season. I thought, you know, he would be, he would be a draft pick for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's 50, 50 now, but uh, obviously he's headed that way because his numbers are great and he's imposing himself pretty well in these games. Andy Routens, Wes Brown, and Dan Gladman with you. We've been talking about uh, seven really great Canadian players in the ranks of NCAA Division One, and we wish them all the best this month and in hopefully their future pro careers in the sport, be it in the NBA, the G League, maybe the CEBL, maybe uh, overseas. As March was approaching, um, I did find myself watching more college ball um, and educating myself more on on who could be the number one overall pick. Um, I saw an incredible game between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, uh, legendary state rivals. I I believe they call it Bedlam whenever those teams play. Um, Cade Cunningham of OSU, a 6'8 freshman guard, he really reminds me of a, of a scoring type Magic Johnson player. Um, he just slowly and completely ran his team, dropped a forty a forty spot with eleven assists on Oklahoma, the state rival. Uh, it was just last Saturday. I, I was amazed by his play. Wes, would he make? Is he going to make an immediate impact on whichever NBA team he winds up on? Yeah, for sure. Um, he's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft. He's got great size. You can't really teach that stuff. You've seen guys like Jason Tatum, you know, they can lack a little skill, you know, ball skills, things like that. Uh, but the size is going to allow him to get his shot off at all times. Uh, he's going to be an NBA star probably. My issue with him is I don't know if he has that consistent killer in him to be a superstar type. In a draft with a lot of stars at the top of it, 
you need to make sure that you're drafting someone that's going to be a guarantee, you know? Uh, and, and I think he'll be a guaranteed, very good player. He's got pretty good feel. Uh, he can post up at his size. Uh, he's got a pretty good three-point shot. He can run ball screens. With the spacing opening up at the NBA level, he's really going to be able to carve defenses up and get in the lane much easier than he does now where they're loaded up on him like crazy and there's no space. Uh, but uh, I just question his upside. I think he'll probably be an all-star type guy, but def- I, don't, I don't see him as a superstar. I don't think he has the athleticism or uh, or the killer in him, the killer instinct to, to be that top tier of player. But it's certainly possible, and, and he's a pretty safe pick at the top. Uh, you see his production there. His numbers across the board are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, speaking of Cade Cunningham and number one picks, let's not forget about Jalen Suggs. He's one of the most electrifying players in college basketball, for sure one of the most versatile. Uh, only a freshman at Gonzaga. Uh, what's he provided for the Zags this year, and what, what will he show in the tournament that can make him the number one pick? Winning. Winning. I mean, yeah, he's, I was going to say, yeah, he's the proven winner. He, he's, uh, he's the best prospect I've ever scouted, like, as a professional, like, in wow. the last like, six, seven years. I mean, That's huge. yeah, when, when you're looking at a guy who can help you win at that level, uh, you see the way he interacts with his teammates. Mm-hmm. He makes everyone better on and off the court. He does the little things like Kyle Lowry. You might see him set a screen in transition for Kispert to open him up a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the half court, super athletic, great build. He was a football player. You know, he sees everything happening before it happens. Uh, so he's got an elite IQ. I think he's an elite athlete. He's got to improve a little changing directions with the ball. He's not that quick east-west. Uh, you know, with the ball, his hands aren't great. But uh, but he's going to be a superstar, I think, in the NBA. He projects, to me, the guys I would compare him to would be Kyle Lowry, Jason Kidd, Chauncey Billups, winners, wow. point guards that, yeah. And, and he's a better athlete than those guys. Right. So uh, there were question marks about his three. I don't think those are there. I think he's the ultimate winner. I think he thinks the game at the highest level. He sees whatever's available there. The split second it's available, whether it's outlet in transition or in the half court. Uh, he puts endless pressure on the defense as a scorer and a facilitator. He's just unbelievable, I think. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to be a top five player in the NBA. Yeah, I've, I've seen him make a couple of full court passes as, as a two sport athlete. You can tell it's it's there. His vision is there. Uh, he's able to get out and transition and find his teammates. Do you think that he'll be able to make the transition to 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 playing point guard full time in the league, though? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting because he can play off ball and he's comfortable with it. Right. But I think he's a true point guard, and I just think they put him in those situations and in the in modern basketball. You know, just to get everyone involved a little more maybe you know you can play him with another guard but I think he's a true one and and with the spacing in the NBA I mean everyone's obsessed with paint touches he's gonna have a million paint oh touches. yeah easily yeah. yeah nice well I I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out to the two of you and Andy I want to start with you is this the year Gonzaga wins the tournament they're undefeated we've all been watching them for at least 20 years now as as they've really made their name as one of the premier basketball programs in the world. AR, are we ready for a world where Gonzaga is the national champion? I think so. I I think they've been one of the highest, you know, marketability teams in in all of NCAA sports for, for some time now, you know, Mark few is, is definitely put in his time there and 
Um, I remember playing against them in the tournament in, in 2010 and how well prepared they were. You know, if they got by us, who knows how long they would have gone or deep they would have gone in the tournament. Um, you know, he's built up uh, uh, an outstanding program there. I think they're long overdue to win it. Um, I'm just hopeful they can hold it, hold on long enough to, to get to the final because you never know what can happen in the NCAA tournament. What, what do you think, uh, Wes? Could, could this team run the table, go undefeated and win the, win the title? I, I don't know. If, I can't remember seeing it since UCLA. Even UNLV lost the year they were, they were undefeated going into the final four. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the favorite. It's, it's hard to bet against them for anyone. They have pretty much an NBA lineup, and they fit like an NBA team. I mean, if you put them in the G League, they would compete. You know, they have uh, an NBA point guard, an NBA shooting guard, an NBA six-man, you know, Nemhard, a second NBA point guard there, uh, Timmy, who's a great post. Uh, they just have the pieces that fit, and I think they play – a free flowing style and offense that is going to be hard to stop that unless they get in their own heads, uh, they're the favorite and there's no reason anyone can stop what they do because they have too many guys that, you know, can create their own shot that can get in the lane that can make plays for others that can shoot and uh, Suggs and Kispert and Timmy, they put so much pressure on the defense from all three levels. It's really, really hard to, to stop them for a 10-minute stretch, let alone a full game. You know, if they start slow, they'll get it going at some point, and that's why, you know, they've blown out everyone they've played. So they're, they're the favorite for sure, and I can't see anybody beating them. Uh, I'll, I'll actually feel bad for them if they don't win this year. I mean, they were supposed to win last year, and everything got, uh, got canceled because of COVID. You know, Wes, I, I want to I ask you a personal question because I, I find um, – your work and your knowledge so unique um just you know toronto's own um how did you how did you decide to become a basketball scout what and what kind of challenges do you face being up here in the you know the hinterlands of toronto when most of the basketball world is taking place down south i knew i wanted to be a basketball scout since i was like 10 years old uh, so it was pretty easy to be honest. I knew I didn't have the athletic ability. I was much better at tennis. Um, and, uh, so I, I've known my whole life. Um, uh, what's it like here? You know, uh, this is my niche. And the reason I'm scouting Canada, to be honest, is that I had a website, nbaprospects.com, which had draft, uh, prospects on it. And I built up a, a reputation. I became really close with the Dallas Mavericks guys. They ended up bringing me to dinner where they grilled me on every prospect on the draft. I killed it. They let me scout with their G League team. That didn't really work out. I wanted to find a way to show that I was different, really, you know. And so I started just emailing and cold calling blindly every single team over and over again. Uh, and I realized over time that really what teams wanted was information that was unique. Any of these teams goes and sees players live, right? They go see Syracuse. They go see the tournament. Mm-hmm. I'm just watching it on TV. But uh, here, they can't get access to the information. So over time, I, I you know, built up the relationships with everyone in the Canadian scene, uh, the high school scene, really, the prep scene, which is where I do most of my coverage and, and most of my clients are NCAA teams. Uh, so I built it up that way and authentically, and it's built into to what it is now. But um, 
it's it's a unique niche and if i wasn't born in canada i would you know i might not be where i'm at right now which is you know my, my goal is to run an nba team so we're getting closer uh Wes, real quick just kind of branching off i kind of had a question for you too do you see do you ever see there being a landscape in the future like the ncaa for canada do you ever see that being something that could be feasible here like it might get to that level yeah, I hope so. Like the problem right now is every kid wants to go D1, right? That's right. what every kid thinks they're D1 and they exactly. want to be in the state. So uh, I think it would probably take uh, a big prospect staying at home. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, it could be this year because of COVID, right? American teams are actually all looking at the transfer market rather than high school kids. And secondarily, after American high school kids, they would probably be looking at Canadian kids. So it's right. it's going to be very hard for those guys to find opportunities. Uh, so I hope it will be like that. But I think there needs to be an investment financially and uh, players need to start staying at home. Mm-hmm. I think the level of basketball here is similar to a mid-major or below. I think once you get to the high major athletes, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But the basketball is still very good here in university. Uh, I, I just think it's it's going to take a, a few different things to move in that direction. And, uh, you know, it's, it's got to happen. Someone's got to make that decision to stay. Someone's got to put the money in and there's no money that it makes right now. You know, it doesn't generate that type of revenue. So that's probably why it hasn't happened. Right. But it's going to be interesting. I agree. I agree because there's so much homegrown talent that mm-hmm. it can't happen. Yeah. Well, Wes, I have a scouting report for you as a, a TV radio broadcaster, but uh, you know we don't want to slow you down from becoming a general manager of an NBA team. So, um, it, it's it's really exciting to talk about the tournament. Um, that Thursday twelve noon start is less than two weeks away. I know our producer Dan Wong is stoked. I am similarly geeked. Bring on the madness. Uh, Jim Rats and Joints is sponsored by Henderson Brewery in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. We're going to move on now to NBA topics, but I want to uh, keep with our Canadian theme to start. Five Canadians were named to the world team in the Rising Stars game, which won't be played this year due to the COVID protocols, although the All-Star game is going to happen. Uh, it's the first time so many Canadians were named to the squad. And I think it says everything about the direction the sport has moved in our country. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Lou Dort, R.J. Barrett, Brandon Clark, and Michael Mulder. Andy, what, what does that tell you about the caliber of player that Canada is now regularly producing? Look, I, I mean, it, it's become the norm. You know, as Wes knows, this is becoming a, a hotbed for, for, for basketball. It's becoming the most popular sport in the country. Uh, and I think you owe a massive amount of respect to the forefathers of Canadian basketball, really starting with the OGs, you know, uh, some guy named Leo, Leo Routens, I think 17th overall, maybe the youngest member of the national team. But, start. Yep. Yeah, it's a great start, you know. So th- and then you guys and then you have your Vince uh, who changed what Can- what basketball was to Canadians. That, that was my era. That's what I grew up on. That was something to shoot for for me. And then you have Steve, you know, taking Canada to the quarterf- quarterfinals on an Olympic world stage becoming a two-time NBA, NBA MVP. And I think the thing about Steve was is that, you know, he was a seemingly normal guy, normal as they come. And I think that gave hope to anyone, you know, within this Canadian landscape that they can make it in something other than hockey. Um, you know, now we're progressing to guys like Kelly O, Corey Joe, Tristan, Joel Anthony, your Dwight Powells. You know, these are guys who saw a glimmer of hope through their predecessors and, not, and they hit the ground running. So 
um, you know, these were all guys who were grassroots kid that became the standard for, for what Canada basketball is now. And, and, and look where we are. You know, you have the most guys on national team, uh, NBA rosters on the national team outside of the States. You know, you have schools like the CIA Balance Athletes Institute. So, I mean, Canada's where it's at right now. It's up and coming, and it's no surprise that uh, Canada basketball is at the forefront of this thing. Wes, some of the names that uh, Andy just dropped were household names to me. Now it's getting to the point where I don't even, you know, I didn't know who Michael Mulder was. And you're just, there's so many Canadians now that it's almost becoming ho-hum. It, it, it's so normal. Do you, do you see that continuing as the years go by? And how does this impact the prospects? There's that word again for the national team. And at what point is the Canadian national? I mean, we still don't even know if they're going to be in the Olympics. When is, when is that going to translate into success on the, on the international stage as well? Yeah, well, there's, there's going to be a lot of great prospects uh, at every age group. The interesting thing is seeing who actually ends up succeeding. And a lot of that obviously has to do with the environment. You know, you go to the right coaches, you have the right work ethic, all those types of things. But there is such a heap of talent at every age category. You know, I look at it, graduates graduating 21, 22, you know, going to the NCAA uh, that we're going to have such a deep talent pool moving forwards as well for the men's team. Uh, it's going to be, you know, even if we have a B team that we have to put together, if the NBA guys aren't available, they're still going to be really high level guys playing in Europe. There's probably going to be 40 to 50 NBA guys soon enough that are Canadian we're going to make up a, a, a significant portion of, of the NBA guys, I believe. Uh, so I think the talent's only getting better. And it's really just building on itself. Like Andy was saying, the amount of, of prep teams, the amount of interest, the amount of players. Now, also, another thing is because players can easily get into Canada and can't easily get into the U.S., a lot of guys might end up just coming here from the Africas, from wherever they can get access to play in Canada. So with the amount of interest and in people looking to build programs, that's, you know, done its part. Plus guys like me coming about, I don't know why there's not that, you know, that many scouts here, but as more guys like me pop up, we have the relationships with college coaches and NBA guys. So we help them you know, get to the next levels and get seen. And I think it's just going to get better and better. There's unbelievable talent if you look. I mean, I start pretty much grade eight and nine, and there's so many kids you identify that you just know have that athleticism, the build, the skill, whatever it is, to end up making it to the next level, and you know that there's really no limit on them. So you wait and see who's going to do it, but there's such a pool of talent that uh, we're going to be ranked second in the world, I believe, at some point. Maybe it's going to take 10 years, but... Um, I mean, yeah, piggybacking on that too, not to mention the amount of personal skills trainers here now, you know, the, the interest in opening gyms for that specific purpose for, for kids to craft their games, it's, it's becoming the new hockey in Canada. So it's really interesting and exciting to see. A, yeah, little, a little different than when Leo was playing <laughs> yeah. in high school. Yeah, he got easy buckets, man. Nobody was built playing basketball back then. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, um, let, let, let's move on to some recent games in the league. Andy, let, let's start with you. Wednesday night, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers needed overtime to beat the Utah Jazz on their home court. Embiid went for 40 and 19 on an MVP resume night. Um, and all of a sudden, the, the Jazz don't win every night like they were for about a month or so. They're about six weeks. They, they couldn't lose. Uh, the question, the way I want to put this question is, which of these two teams that we saw play, the 76ers and Jazz, who's got a better chance of getting to the NBA Finals this year? Oh, man. I mean, uh, what a game that was. Uh, and it was it was uh, it was so impressive to see Joel Embiid just in his bag like that and, and hitting, the, hitting the game, tying shot, you know, uh, on a fadeaway. His skills are just outerworldly for his height and, and his uh, and his build. I think that the Sixers showed that they can compete with anyone in the league. You know, obviously they beat the Lakers and Bucks earlier in the season. Uh, and realistically, there's no way to slow down the Sixers when, when Joel's playing like the way he is this year. You know, he's having an MVP year. He's averaging 30-12-3. And, um, and the Jazz do look human now. They look a little bit more human than they did before. They got some chinks in the armor. Um, you know, they still have the, the league's third-ranked defense, uh, and, and they still have the league's best record. Uh, but when you see what Joel Embiid does to uh, a generational interior defender like Rudy Gobert, you know, he bullied his way to 40. So that, that's scary for the rest of the league to see. Um, and I also do think that they have an easier route, you know, given the fact that they are in the Eastern Conference, which is a little bit weaker right now. What, what's what's your feeling on that, Wes? Which of the, of these two teams would you say has a better shot to get into the finals? Yeah, I would say Utah, just because I think they're good. Whereas Philly, I don't think they're as good as maybe their record shows. And, you know, when things come down to it, they don't really have a guy that can get you a bucket late in the game. I know that's Embiid, but, uh, you know, on the wing, if, you know, you get it to them at the top of the key, typically teams that win have that guy, right? And Simmons is obviously not that guy. Uh, I just believe in Utah. They have four guys shooting 40% from three. Uh, they defend it really well. They have a number of guys, you know, they have eight or nine guys that that they can attack you with, whereas Philly's depth I don't think is as good. I don't trust Embiid's maturity. I think he's still got to get a lot better. If you watch that one game against the Raptors where they shut him down in the second half, you know, he's got to keep coming in that second and third wave once they've game planned against you, once they see what he's doing, whether it's, you know, doubling down, whatever decisions they make. Uh, I don't trust him to be the guy late in the playoffs. And and even though they, they have a legitimate shot, they're going to have to go through two or three really good teams to get there. Uh, and, I, or good enough teams, and I just don't think they're that good that that they're going to do it. Whereas Utah is playing the modern NBA style and maybe doing it as well as anyone we've seen, right? It's not like they're doing it with a superstar. They're doing it with elite three-point shooting, and they got a lot of gunners. And they got that chemistry, so, man. They have chemistry, you know, and there's there's no ceiling for chemistry. So, you know, teams thought, I, I actually mentioned it to a Utah guy recently, everybody thought, uh, Steph Curry and the Warriors had hit their ceiling, had hit their peak. 
next year they they became like the best team of all time, right? So Utah, it's going to be really interesting to see because you know Donovan Mitchell isn't isn't that level of player. He's not a superstar. He's not a top five guy. But nonetheless, you know, he could create his own shot. He could be that guy at the end of a game. And the pieces fit, and they have a rim protector, which I think is really important late in the playoffs. So I think it'll be great to see Utah, and I would love to see a team do it the right way and win like that. I agree. It, it's definitely an interesting comparison because there, there are two teams that would be new to the finals. You'd love to see either of them succeed and, and get there. Um, I also think the trade deadline is going to come into play with both of those teams. I think they're each maybe that they're one piece away um, from seriously competing with, with the, their, their competition in their, in their conferences. You know, Donovan Mitchell was ejected late in that game uh, after Embiid lobbied the ref to give him a second technical foul. Uh, we saw Devin Booker ejected from a game the night before. Are, are the players at a new level of emotional demonstration or or do the rules need to be relaxed a little bit at, at, at some point here Wes why don't you go first here yeah the, the rules are, are ridiculous that it's a player's league it's not about the refs they're taking way too much power you know I, I I feel like they're on a constant power trip to be honest uh in all areas really I, I think the rules need to be relaxed a little too to be like the 90s a little more hand checking getting away with things you see guys unnaturally shooting throwing it up and and getting calls you know you see guys fighting on a on a pump fake landing and then you know they're jumping into them trying to get a foul call not in the natural motion of the shot all those types of things plus now they've taken full control of the game where they're kicking out the stars of the game the reason everybody's watching those games you know so one tech here and there if they're outlandish i agree with but throwing the stars out of the game. Like, can you imagine that happening to LeBron? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, he's got a little different rule set and those are the type of rules really everyone should have, which is, it's about the players. It's not about the refs. So I think it's terrible. And I think the the rules need a dramatic change. I mean, I, I agree with you completely. I think the refs could potentially cost the NBA a lot of money if they, if they continue down this path. Um, like you said, you're seeing guys on offense, you know, specifically try to draw fouls when, when the defensive players are nowhere in the vicinity of them. Uh, you know, I think Trey Young is probably the biggest culprit of that. You know, you saw him give uh, Steve Nash the fits when they played them. And, and uh, you know, even Lloyd Pierce came out publicly and, and mentioned that he didn't like the way Trey was drawing fouls. So um, it, it, it's it's a floppers league now, unfortunately. I think it's they, they, they took too many pages out of Europe's handbook for a bit. Um, but now they could go back and dive in and, and, and take some of the physicality back because I think that's what needs to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming unbearable to watch. The players are becoming frustrated. And like you said, it is a player's league. So, you know, let's not take away the shine from the players and, and let's put the emphasis on the game as opposed to, you know, tic-tac fouls. And, and also at the same time, I think players are much more disgruntled because of the era that they're playing in. You know, this is, this is the COVID time, you know, they're, they're emotionally upset as it is going into the game because of their limitations, you know, not being able to see family, friends, uh, and, you know, going into a game, you're, you're much more uh, uh, unbalanced emotionally. So obviously there's going to be flare ups. And I think the refs have to take this into consideration as well. Maybe more warnings, uh, you know, just to keep the, the, the game on, a, on an even scale. Andy, I, I want to ask you about um, referee management from your playing days, particularly when you were oh, in Division One. I'm the wrong guy to ask about referees. 
<laughs> I, I led the league in Texan Turkey multiple years. <laughs> well, what 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 about in the NCAA? Do, are the refs do, do they show a different level of respect for veteran players, third and fourth they, year players, than maybe they do. They do freshmen? They do. I I, I vividly remember that. Um, you know, you have to earn your stripes, as they say. So, you know, as a freshman, you know, especially a guy who's coming in unheralded, you know, you have to you have to show that that you're tough. You have to show that you're worth some of these calls. And once you start to build that rapport with them, you respect them early on. You know, then down the line, you know, you'll start getting some of those, you know, iffy 50-50 charge calls that could be, you know, blocks. Um, you know, it, it's all about a respect factor. And I think that that's what some, something is missing in the NBA right now is the respect factor. I think that guys need to have that rapport with referees where, you know, they talk to them initially first, maybe after the game, outside of the public limelight. Um, and then they, they, they have that, that understanding without going to the MBPA or, you know, uh, uh, you know, just keeping it in-house per se. And I think that's how you build it. Um, but I can see it bubbling over now because of the lack of communication and understanding. So I think that is crucial and you, you definitely do earn your stripes the more you build that rapport with referees. Nice. Jim Rats and Joints, we got Andy Routens, Wes Brown, myself, Dan Gladman. It's time now for hashtag T-D-I-T-R-H. This date in Toronto Raptors history, I know I was there. March 5th, 2011, 10 years ago. I cannot believe it. The Raptors play their second game in two nights against the New Jersey Nets at the O2 in London, England. That's right. These NBA Europe games were the first regular season games to be played in Europe. The Raptors lose this second of the two games, 137-136 in triple overtime. I remember it would not end. Andrea Bargnani scores 35 for Toronto. DeMar DeRozan adds 30. Brooke Lopez scores 34 for the Nets. And Chris Humphreys notches 20 and 17 against his former team, the Raptors. This has been this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Check it out on Twitter at the hashtag TDITRH. As for the Raptors in 2021, after climbing back to a plus 500 record after the 2-8 and eight start, COVID has finally hit. Several players are out of the lineup. Almost the entire coaching staff is in protocol as well. Florida isn't the safest place in the world when it comes to COVID safety. We saw a game canceled, another postponed, and then the Raptors got beat bad by the Detroit Pistons. How much is this going to affect the Raptors season? Andy, let's start with you. I mean, I certainly think it has a huge impact on them, especially because they were, you know, they were building some confidence. They were building, uh, you know, a couple wins in a row. Um, you know, they were feeling good about, uh, you know, coming back from that abysmal start. Um, and, and now they just start from square one again. Um, and to lose that feeling and, and to be back on the losing side of things is not easy, especially when you're so far away from home. So it could have a detrimental effect on the rest of their season. But knowing Nick Nurse and, and, and knowing guys like Fred Van Fleet and, and, and Kyle Lowry, they're not going to let that happen. I think internally they'll be solid. But, you know, if they can get back that swagger that they had on, the, on that on that five, six game tear, I think that, you know, they have a chance. But likely it's looking like it's going to be pretty disruptive uh, for their for their success this year. Wes, same question for you. How, how, how are they affected by this? Can it really slow them down these next even two, three weeks? We saw what happened in Miami Heat earlier. Yeah, I think it can slow them down over the next few weeks. The good thing is 
there's nobody with that many wins in the in the East, right? There's only two teams, I think, and everyone else is pretty much bunched up around the 500 mark. So I think that really helps them. I agree with Andy. It does suck for right now for the next few weeks. It's going to be hard to get wins without some of their primary guys, two of their, you know, three of their real primary guys that start. Uh, but in the long term, I think they'll be okay. They might not be as high of a seed as they would like, but I think they'll make the playoffs no matter what. The problem with that is, you know, you don't want to play the one or two. I would say there's a pretty big drop off after that. You don't want to play Brooklyn or Philly because they're playing, even though I think the Raptors could beat Philly. You don't want to play those guys. Uh, You'd rather have an easier schedule. The the weird thing is you could end up being the third seed and playing Miami who's the sixth seed and Miami's really tough or whatever it is, you know? So uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens moving forward. Obviously they were, like Andy said, they were just finding their groove. Nick Nurse finally found the right roles for everyone. He knew he could rely on, you know, guys like Bembry to, to be three and D to be, you know, secondary facilitators, stuff like that. Uh, and now, you know, it's totally out of the blue. He's just playing whoever's available, really. Uh, and and he doesn't really have the scoring, to be honest, to keep up, especially if the Pistons go off for 125 on them, right? So uh, I think I think long-term, it's, it's going to have an impact. I think as long as they're playing well going into the playoffs and they don't have to play Brooklyn, I would say they'll be okay. But uh, it's it's an interesting wrinkle in a, you know, crazy season. Yeah, if if I'm Toronto, I'm eyeballing sixth place. Um, I think Milwaukee's going to land in third. I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks have the guts to beat the Raptors in a seven-game series. Obviously, you want to avoid Brooklyn. And I, if I'm anyone in the East, I want Boston and Miami meeting in the 4-5 and at least getting one of them out of the way uh, in the first round. Guys, James Harden returned to Houston Wednesday night and put up an easy, breezy triple-double against his old team, which is just reeling without him. I think they've lost 12 in a row. The Rockets showed a video tribute to the beard. Some of the small crowd clapped. Some of them booed. Um, To me, Texas has enough issues of its own uh, beyond sports right now. But, you know, Harden, Harden gave them a lot of great years, turned them into a really competitive team. Wes, let, let's start with you. How, how do you sum up Harden's years in Houston? And can you sympathize with how he was treated in that first game back? First of all, I was Harden's biggest fan, actually. Uh, I, I, I remember saying during the draft that the, the OKC Thunder would regret taking a shame to beat over him second overall, uh, which was a ridiculous pick. Um, I think Harden's time, you know, he became the guy who he is now in, in Houston. He was the sixth man on OKC. He was great in that role. His numbers were extremely impressive, efficient, you know, something close to the 50, 40, 90 mark, only averaging, you know, 18 or so. But you could see that he could get wherever he wanted. He had good feel. You know, he had point guard-like skills, but was really a two. Uh, And when he got the opportunity to turn into what he did, that's the guy we know now. And I think the interesting thing is now he doesn't have to carry that crazy load. And you're seeing him kind of peek out uh, uh, into who he is in terms of passing and scoring, you know, with a Kyrie there to help him. He doesn't need to take 50 dribbles every position uh, possession. He doesn't need to isolate every possession. He can make the right play and just kind of take what's given. Um, so I think you kind of saw him 
you know, his trajectory go up with Houston. He probably maximized what any player could do offensively. And now he's probably balancing out even without Durant to, you know, he's got a second guy there and this is more who he is. But Mm -hmm. I mean, in Houston, he put up the most unbelievable numbers. What can you say? He's got to, you know, they got to retire his jersey. I would think he was there enough years. He did everything he could. You know, they didn't, they never got the pieces and so they couldn't win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I spent some time with James when I was in OKC when they had, you know, Russell Westbrook and, and, and uh, Kevin Durant. And, you know, you could tell he was trying to become the best version of himself to be that guy for a franchise. So you saw that evolution when it came to Houston. And now, like you said, he's, he's kind of reverting back to, you know, being more of a point guard, more of a facilitator while also maintaining his scoring ability. And I think we're seeing the primary, the, the prime James Harden right now, the guy who's going to win rings because I think he's found his niche. Um, you know, but as far as Houston, you know, he's a franchise leader in triple doubles, in three-point field goals, player efficiency, usage rating, whatever you want to say, he's, he's the leader of the, of the franchise. So um, eight, eight years of playoff appearances, obviously they, they failed to get out of the Western Conference, but he was everything to the Rockets organization. You can see what happens you know, when you remove the only thing that was keeping them afloat. Um uh, you know, especially year after year to compete in the Western Conference like they did, carrying averages of, you know, 38 and 6 his entire career. I think the Rockets fan base should just be tipping their cap and, and just saying thank you for all the great years. Also, they were oh so close to getting so to close. the finals a couple times. And really, you know, they they lost to a historically good team, the Warriors, I think three times on the on the road to, to the NBA Finals and that they just couldn't get past the Warriors, you know. It, it, it happens. You know, guys, w- one game that really caught my eye uh, the other night was seeing the number two pick in last year's draft, LaMelo Ball, and the Charlotte Hornets drubbing the number one pick, Anthony Edwards, uh, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Both of those rookies had 19 points. Um, I've said it in earlier shows. I think Ball is going to be the rookie of the year. Um, but when you look at the two directions of those teams, I got a question if the Wolves made the right pick going with Edwards first. Andy, let, let's start with you. Did did the Wolves kind of mess up another draft? I mean, I think they've proven themselves to be one of the worst franchises in, in the history of sports. It's actually <laughs> factual that came out that they're one of the, the most losing franchises in all professional sports uh, just this year. So I don't think they necessarily made the wrong decision. I think Anthony Edwards is a spectacular, one-of-a-kind, unique talent. I mean, we, we, we see his athleticism. We see his scoring capability. Um, but I think, they did, I think they did the right thing. They drafted the, the better individual player. I think he's, he's going, his ceiling is a little bit higher than Lamelo's, in my personal opinion, just because he reminds me of a young Ray Allen, you know, his, his versatility. He's able to shoot the ball, get to the rim, finish on people with, with physicality. You know, their, their stat lines are very similar right now. Anthony Edwards at 15-4-2 and, and Lamelo at 15-6-6. Six and six. But to me, what, what it comes down to is, is, is Lamelo's effect on his team. You know, he, he's, a, he's a very likable guy. He's a persona. He, he's, he's changed the culture there. And to change the culture in Charlotte is, is no easy task. So, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's got nicknames with his teammates. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's throwing lobs to everybody. Um, everybody's smiling and laughing around him. And that's what it takes to create a winning culture. You know, something you're seeing similar to the evolution of Utah right now is that that's why they're at the top is because they have that chemistry, that rapport with each other. And I think LaMelo is just bringing that in spades. Uh, uh, 
Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they both cap out. I don't think that they made the wrong decision per se, but, you know, I think LaMelo is clearly the front runner right now for the rookie of the year. Wes, what do you think on that one? Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude here, but um, yeah. I, you, think, I, you think the opposite. I think they, throw it out there. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think they made the total wrong decision. I didn't like Edwards at all in the draft. I think his shot selection is poor. I think his shooting is poor. He's got a, a bad release. Uh, I don't think he has the intelligence to be a great player. You know, you look at the top guys, LeBron and Harden and uh, uh, Kyrie, Curry, those guys, you see how they speak. You know, uh, you, you listen to him. I don't think he's got it between the ears uh, to adapt and figure it out. Uh, it seemed like he always liked tough shots at Georgia and, I don't think he's going to be able to refine his game to figure out how he gets it off. Uh, the other thing, like me and DG have talked about, uh, LaMelo's uh, effect on the Charlotte area, you know, the marketability of the team alone, I think, is enough to have drafted him uh, over Edwards for Minnesota. I mean, I, I think they didn't actually have a better option. Like, they thought Edwards was the, was the top talent. You know, athletically, he looks like a star. He's got that build. Uh, and they felt like they couldn't trade him for what they wanted. So they felt they had to take him, I think. So it was a bit of a difficult situation for them. The, and they have a relatively new uh, front office. But nonetheless, uh, I think LaMelo Ball was was for sure the pick, whether or not he ends up being a superstar. Because, uh, you know, at this point, we don't really know what, what he's going to be. It's too early to see if he's, a wi- if he's a true winner, you know, when it comes down to crunch time, whether he can defend. Uh, but but he's got a great feel for the game. He makes everyone else better. He puts pressure on the defense as a three-point shooter and, a, you know, as a breakdown guy. He gets tons of paint touches. He makes, you know, guys love playing with him. I mean, look at Malik Monk, who was pretty quiet recently, and then he started going off. I think he's averaging 13 points a game, shooting 44 from three. He's had like four, or he, last week at least, he had four straight 20-point games. So he's having this great effect on, on his guys, and and. I think Anthony Edwards is, is never going to be a, a winning player, a winning piece that knows his role and that has a real NBA skill. You know, I, I would say he's a little like Wiggins in that you don't really know night to night what you're getting from him. And to me, what's interesting, though, is, is LaMelo has had a, a, a plethora of experience with NBA guys and playing in the Drew League every summer and playing overseas in Australia. He's already been had a taste of the NBA game since he was a teenager as opposed to Anthony Edwards, who had one year at Georgia to do whatever the hell he wanted. So once he gets to the point where he's figured the game out, to me, he's going to be a completely different beast. And guys are aware in the league now, veterans of what he's capable of, for sure they're going to take him under his wing. So I think that could level out at some point, in my personal opinion. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, and the one thing I just want to say, because me as a scout, I'm not willing to take those risks on guys that I don't see understand a role or feel for the game, things like that. Right. Those types of things scare me. So Edwards has that green light. You know, this is where I like talking to coaches and they, you know, they kind of educate you like, okay, no, I see him here. He'll, you know, we'll teach him. We'll, we'll teach him how to shoot. We'll improve his, his understanding of the game. So that, you know, that's just my general thinking coming through, which is benefit analysis, boy. (laughs) Analysis, man. That's it. That's That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think Wes is, is being a little tough on Anthony Edwards. I think that there's a lot of athletic ability there, and he, he could be coached into a better player. But I, I was I was LaMelo Ball for the number one pick all the way there. Um, guys, we're, uh, unbelievably, we're running out of time. But I do want to squeak in 
one more topic before we have to go. And uh, Wes, I, I want to start. I want to start with you on this one, and Andy can kind of bring us home. Um, there was some shock and awe this week when when the Atlanta Hawks fired their coach and a guy who's a leader in, in the ATL community. And Andy, you mentioned his name earlier, Lloyd Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw the coaches around the NBA expressing their dismay um, at this dismissal. Um, but then news started trickling out that he wasn't really much of a player's coach. Wes, did, did he get fired uh, because of a player mutiny? I think there was a lot of pressure on him to win this year. I don't know what happened in that locker room, but I had heard that before the season, they had to make the playoffs or their staff, whether that's front office or coaches, uh, were in trouble. And they're trending downward, obviously. They'd lost probably a few games in a row. I think they were 14 and 20. They've now actually won two straight since they fired him. Uh, But there was a lot of pressure on him. And to be honest, I don't think their team is that good. And I think they had a bunch of random signings like Rajon Rondo, who is not going to get that many minutes with Trey Young being their their centerpiece, you know, and an older Gallinari. I just don't think they put the right pieces there. And I think it's more front office to blame than it is coaching. Again, I don't know what's happening, you know, in their locker room. So it's really hard for me to comment on those specifics. But uh, I know that there was pressure on them to win and they're not winning. And, you know, before probably the front office gets fired, they're trying to do whatever they can, which is blame it on the coach. (laughs) Yeah, that's the classic move. Uh, You know, he came out in a coach's call. It came out publicly that he said he wasn't a fan of the way Trey Young was able to take the shots that he was taking and, and his ability to draw fouls. It was kind of deteriorating the game a little bit. Um, but it's a double-edged sword. When you give Trey Young the keys to the franchise and tell him to go out and, and take whatever shot he wants, you know, he only 8% of his shots came on catch-and-shoot situations compared to 40% of the, the time he was shooting off the dribble. So, you know, he had no nobody else to create for him. But at the same time, you know, you, you told him that that was okay. So it, it's hard to set that uh, precedence in Atlanta, uh, you know, how to how to blend the star with the rest of the team. And, and obviously, like you said, Wes, they had high hopes to start the season, um, you know, bringing in those signings with, with Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, and, and to be sitting where they are in a relatively wide open Eastern Conference, I can see why they might have let him go. Um you know, whether it's justified or not is only internal. So, uh, you know, we're only privy to, you know, what we see in the newspaper, but, um, you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I think that they have the ability and and the the tools there to turn it around eventually. Well, they definitely have that new front office there. Uh, Right. With our, with Landry Fields. Fields, Okay. uh, That, that brings us to the end of this episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I saw this week that Spotify is moving on up as a destination for podcast consumption. Download us, listen, review, and tell your friends. Thank you to our producer extraordinaire, Dan Wong. Follow him on social at Dan Wong Says. Shep, we miss you. You can catch him on Raptors 905 broadcasts. A lot of those this week. Extra special thanks to our friend Wes Brown, who filled in admirably for Shep today. I, I feel so much smarter talking to you, Wes, about uh, the prospects in basketball. You can check out Wes's website, nbaprospects.com. 
He's on Instagram at West B Brown and on Twitter at West Blair Brown. Ottawa Blackjacks assistant general manager and Syracuse Orange alum Andy Routens is on Instagram at Andy Routens. My name is Dan Gladman. On March 14th, I'll be on a webinar called Jumping Through Hoops uh, with former Cleveland Cavaliers coach David Blatt to talk March Madness and support a March Madness online tournament run by Canadian friends of Hebrew University. Check out my social media for more information at DG on the road on Instagram and Twitter. Jim Rats and Joints is on Insta and Twitter at Jim Rats Podcast. Shep will be back next week and we will be deep into NCAA conference tournament play with the bracket reveal only days away. Thank you for listening and we'll be back. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.